Good morning. This morning I'm going to speak about going and making disciples. And there's probably no other topic that I'm more excited about talking about than this one. Um, but as I've been preparing, I've been realizing as I laid the, the template of Scripture over my life, how far short I fall from where um, I want to be. Um, so this talk has gone from being very excited to being a little bit sobering. Um, so I want to ask the Lord to, to speak to us. Um, so let's pray. Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would um, speak to us. We ask that you would um, anoint what I say and that you would reveal uh, the person of Jesus Christ to us. Amen. So this morning I'm talking about um, evangelism and discipleship. I started thinking about this topic and started thinking, should I talk about evangelism or should I talk about discipleship? Then I realized they're really, they're interrelated. The two, um, you can't separate the two concepts, at least biblically. Um, as we get started, I wanted to share just a definition, just a real simple definition of each one of those topics, those uh, ideas. First is evangelism, and I have the, the definition is so simple. It's telling people the good news about Jesus. It's very simple, just telling people the good news about Jesus. And discipleship is helping people grow to maturity and becoming like Jesus. I just tried to make that as simple as possible. Evangelism is going out and telling people and then discipleship is helping them grow. And the New Testament supposes that we would become disciples, that we wouldn't become shallow converts, but we would become disciples. I hope to accomplish a few things this morning. Um, as I share, I hope that I awaken a sense of urgency in all of us about sharing the gospel with people who don't know him, with don't know who Jesus is. And this is so serious, especially in the age in which we live where the world is darkening and where fewer and fewer people have heard the message, the good news about Jesus. And I also hope to stir up in you all and, and really just kind of rekindle in, in all of us a vision for how to make disciples and how to be about uh, the disciple-making endeavor. I was thinking about this. I mean, I, I do have periods in my life where I go out and I share the gospel pretty aggressively with people. I, um, I'll take chances. I'll, I'll take risks. And then all of a sudden, I'll look back, and I'll have gone six months without really engaging uh, intentionally in the disciple-making process. And what I realize is it takes, it takes team to do this. You really have to encourage one another and stir one another up, especially in the area of evangelism, because it is something that our culture pushes back so far against. And so I hope that we just encourage one another this morning just to go out and share the gospel and make disciples. Uh, I do assume um, a couple of things about the audience this morning. I do assume that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, that Jesus Christ is the only lifeline we have to eternal life and to forgiveness. He's the only lifeline to escape the coming judgment and condemnation that will be there for those who reject Jesus. You know, I met the Lord, I'm going to probably share a little bit about this in a minute, through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, and I'll, I'll share my testimony. But when I met the Lord, I had to face and confront the reality of hell. And I'd always, I'd kind of created my own gospel in my mind that if I did more good than bad, like most of us have kind of done on a scale, that I would, um, that I would be found worthy at the end. And I always surrounded myself with people who were a lot worse off than I was, so I made myself look better. Um, 
But when I was confronted with the gospel, I realized without Jesus, I was headed for eternity of separation from God. And I began to, to, to read a little bit and to investigate. And the Bible is really clear. And it, we don't think we talk about this in our culture enough, but there is a, a pending condemnation for those who reject Jesus. And it is not pleasant. Jesus talked about it as a lake of fire. He talked about it as a place where, where flames never go out. It's eternal. There's no return. Um, I remember I had a dream a few years ago about, about hell and about some demons. And I remember the stench was so bad in the dream that when I woke up, I couldn't get the stench out of my nose. We hold the lifeline through the gospel to pull people out of hell and to bring them into the kingdom of the Son of God. So I'm assuming that we, that we agree on that point. And it's sobering. Um, there is so much positive to sharing the gospel, but we have to realize we're, we're rescuing people from flames. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, my first point this morning is that we just need, temp, simply need to stay on mission. And, and again, I'm preaching to myself on this big time. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That's our mission. That's what Jesus called us to. When he called the disciples early in the book of, in the book of Matthew, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And one of the last things he said was, go and make disciples. Matthew 28 is a great commission. We know it really well. Let's take a look at it. Then Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's our mission. That's what we've been called to. There are a lot of things to get distracted by, but that has to be clear. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples. I remember hearing Rock one time talk about uh, the U.S. Air Force. It was in a post-war era um, when the, the Air Force did not have a, a very clear mission. And the Air Force began building uh, recreational centers around the United States and at different bases around the world. And they had some of the best golf courses in the world and produced some wonderful athletes. And then the Secretary of the Air Force, or the, one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, came in and he, he saw this. And he began to reorient the Air Force to mission. And he put a poster up all around all the bases. And I'm going to paraphrase this, but it was the mission of the U.S. Air Force is to fly planes and fight, fight wars. So the church, we need to realize our mission is to go and make disciples. As I think about the word disciple, the word shallow convert does not fit into that description. Here are a few, here's a few characteristics of a disciple. A disciple is one who believes the message of Jesus. They're baptized. They obey the teachings of Jesus. And one of the greatest teachings is that we love God and love others. A disciple observes what Jesus does and then goes and does the same. We're students. And then the Gospels assume that a disciple produces or reproduces other disciples, like in the parable of the soils, where the, the, the good soil produced 30, 60, or 100-fold. And that's our mission. But we're not just called to make disciples in Oklahoma City. We're called to make disciples all over the world as the Great Commission states. 
I love the fact that we've got somebody in Guam right now making disciples, planting churches. You guys, before COVID, we were traveling all over the world. Our culture does. We're, we're to make disciples all over the world. But if we're going to do that, we have to shift our thinking and start thinking multiplication instead of addition. I used to play this game with myself. If I, if I had, you know, a week to live, what would I do? And I, of course, the first thing I said I would do is I would go to Krispy Kreme and eat a dozen donuts. And then I would go to, to Pie Junkie and eat the entire buttermilk um, pie. But I would also share the gospel to everybody I came in contact with. And I thought, why do I have to wait until I've been given a terminal um, diagnosis? But we really need to think not about addition, one person at a time, but multiplication. Let's go to this next slide. If I went out every single day and shared the gospel with one person and they met the Lord, and I did that 365 days a year, at the end of the year, I'd have 365 new believers. If I did that for 10 years, I would have accumulated 3,650 believers, and in 16 years, 5840. That's assuming that I win somebody to the Lord every single day of the week and that they become believers. However, if I lead one person to the Lord per year and then spend time with them and walk with them and help them grow to a level of maturity where they can do the same, and then one year later, I go out and win one more person, and they go out and win one more person, in 16 years, it will be 65,000 people. It doesn't take long to reach a million people. I mean, I want you to think about that for the legacy that you leave behind. You could leave millions of people on this earth as disciples by taking one per year, growing them to maturity, and giving them a vision to multiply. About, in about 1991, I was working in South Oklahoma City at Jackson Middle School in a Young Life ministry. We met a young lady named Duranda Slack. Um, Duranda's actually sitting over here this morning. Um, she was a typical middle schooler, but she also lived in South Oklahoma City, and she was in a time of great crisis. I remember when my roommate went to her house one night to minister to her because she was in a, a really uh, a bad spot. And she began coming to our weekly sports nights at Jackson Middle School. We would open up the gym, and we would play basketball, then we would share a message. And then some of the female leaders began spending time with Duranda and began walking with her and helping her live life. And she'd already heard the gospel, but it took somebody to walk alongside her and help her to become uh, mature in her walk with the Lord. And she said when she was around 16 or 17, her faith became her own. And um, I don't want to embarrass Duranda today, but like many of us, I mean, she was um, in great need of Jesus. She got married, and she had kids, and then she began a little Bible study, little Young Life group at Caps Middle School in Putnam City. And it started out with four kids, and within a short period of time, it grew to 65 kids. When I think about that, I think if I had gone out and tried to win 65 kids to the Lord, I would never have been able to do it. But all we had to do was give Duranda a vision for ministry, and she went out and won dozens of kids to the Lord. You can reach millions of people by being strategic. We have to stay on mission. Stay on mission. Uh, the next is to sow broadly. And I really wanted to change the PowerPoint slide. Let's go to the next. I wanted to call it Sow Where You Go. But I just, I really sense that the Lord has set up the economy of the kingdom so that we should share the gospel wherever he has placed us, whether that be in our home, in our neighborhood, our place of work. 
the network that God has for us, the people that cut our hair, the people that we see at the grocery store, all of those people. Let's look at Acts 1-8. Acts 8-1, actually. Um, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. This is after the stoning of Stephen. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And I'm going to skip to verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. That's really the strategy God used to spread the church was to use persecution and scatter people out. And wherever they went, they shared the gospel. They were pollinating wherever they went. Think about the network that God has placed you in of people. Wherever you are and there are people present, that's the network. That's the ministry God has placed before you. I mean, you may be an attorney, and you may have clients that sit across your desk from you. You may have legitimate legal work to do, but they're a ministry. God may have led them to your office. You may be a doctor. You may be a teacher. You may be a mother with little ones in your home. That's your primary ministry is the people God's already placed in your network. But we need to sow broadly. Wherever we go, we need to be asking, Holy Spirit, is there somebody here you want me to minister to? Is there, is there a person you want me to talk to? Open the doors and show me what you want to do. Um, my Uncle Larry was an uh, incredible fisherman. Uh, he, he really, he's a person that lived out the whole slogan that a, better, a day of uh, fishing is, a better day, is better than any day of work. And he, he really took that and um, made a lifestyle out of it. Um, and he caught tons of fish. He caught the state record freshwater drum in Texas. He caught a 44-pound catfish on a, on, a, on a bass worm in an inner tube, and it drug him all over Lake Arrowhead and Wichita Falls. He could tell you exactly how many bass he had caught in his entire life. People would like, were like, you've been counting? It was thousands. And um, he also cut men, because wherever he would go, he would talk about Jesus. If you want to catch fish, you've got to, you've got to keep your worm in the water. You've got to keep the line in the water. Otherwise, you're not going to catch any fish. So we have to sow broadly. Wherever we go, be asking the Lord, is there somebody you want me to interact with on behalf of the gospel? About oh, six months ago, it was, I know it was during the, the uh, quarantine, um, I went down to the Vietnamese grocery store on, on a class. And I went down there one morning, and I, I'd probably been listening to a podcast because I was kind of stirred up, and I was thinking about the Lord and evangelism. And um, I pulled up to Super Cow Win, and I thought, oh, Holy Spirit, what would you do? What would, you, what would Jesus do if he was here at Super Cow Win at 8 in the morning? And then I thought, what, what would Paul do? And I felt like the Lord say, they are long gone. You're the man. And I mean, I just thought about that realization. I'm like, wait a second, I am the current generation of disciples, um, if, they ever, if we ever do have any kind of an appendix to the scriptures, which I think is probably uh, heretical, but um, I mean, it would be, they'd be writing the stories about what we do. And um, so I, I got kind of excited, and I prayed, and I walked in, and I started praying under my breath as I walked around. And, um, you know, it's really, if you've been down to that, Viet, that Vietnamese grocery store, it's like a United Nations there. There are people from all over the world buying food. And as I walked around, I was praying under my breath, and I didn't see anybody. And of course, we had masks on. It was, it's really awkward, you know, these days. And to share the gospel, but I went over to the rice section, and as I was looking at bags of rice, this young guy walked up. I don't think he had a mask on, and I could have sworn I knew him. And um, I looked at him, and I was already kind of, you know, a little bit supercharged, and I said, hey, do I know you? And he said, I I don't know. And 
And of course, my wife says, please don't ask this question anymore. I asked him where he was from. And it's, you know, it's probably a really not a great question. But I, I thought maybe I knew him. And I, I know some people that um, that might have triggered how I knew him. And, and he said, well, I'm from Guam. And I went, okay. I said, I know a guy that's moving to Guam. And he went, are you kidding? Conversation ensued. It was Mike Milner who we've sent to Guam to plant a church. And within a couple of minutes, I mean, we, we had a, a real report. And I just said, you know, I asked, the, I asked God before I got out of the car if he would lead me to somebody that I could encounter or talk to him and, and, and minister to. And he said, wow, that's amazing. And I said, how can I pray for you? And, he's, and at the very moment, his sister walks in and sees her talking to me, him talking to me and, and was a little cons, you know, concerned. And he said, this guy is going to pray for me. And I said, yeah, how can I pray for you guys? And they said, well, our sister just had a heart transplant. And she's in the hospital in intensive care. We'd love for you to pray for her. So I just, we just prayed for her right there. And then he said, you know what? My life has been really far away from God. And I've been feeling I need to get back with God. He prayed to receive Jesus right there in the rice section at Super Cow Inn. And I prayed that the Holy Spirit would fill him. And I called Mike Milner. And um, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been a little bit tuned in to what the Lord was doing. There have been so many days where I've just gone about my business not paying any attention to what's happening around me. But we have to sow broadly. And so where we go. Point three is that we have to use words. We have to use words. It doesn't matter what method you use. At some point, you must use words to tell people about Jesus. Acts 1.8. You probably know this really, really well. And I use the NLT because I like one of the words it uses. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, But how can they call on, call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. At some point, we have to use words. I've heard a number of objections over the years about not about using words. And here's one of them. And I want to really encourage you not to buy into these. Is The first one is, I don't want to offend anybody. There's a saying in Young Life where we have to, we have to earn the right to be heard. And that's, that's legitimate. But we have to use words. And at some point, when we share the gospel, to some, it's going to be highly offensive. To those who reject Jesus Christ, the gospel is a stench. It is offensive. There's no way of getting around that. Yet to those who believe and are saved, it's a perfume. It's a fragrance. So you will offend Jesus, and we have to give up wanting to be nice. I remember about a year ago, I was sitting in this audience, and I felt like the Lord was saying, no more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And I knew what that meant. And the Lord was saying, don't be so concerned about your reputation to look nice. People are dying without the gospel. You have to be intentional and share the gospel. And that's not going to look nice to a certain segment of our society. The second objection is this, and you've heard this, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. I believe that was St. Francis that said that. 
We want our lives to be a fragrance. But we can't use that as an excuse not to tell people the gospel of Jesus. If Jesus used words, we have to use words. He demonstrated the kingdom, and then he used words. The next objection is that we have to develop a relationship first. And there can be, that can be legitimate, but it can also be an excuse to put off telling people about Jesus, perhaps until it's too late. The longer you put off this conversation, the more awkward it's going to get. So this morning I was walking in my neighborhood. I was rehearsing what I was going to say this morning, especially about your neighbors. And we're moving tomorrow. And I realize there's some neighbors that I need to talk to. And I have been putting it off. So tomorrow or sometime this week, I'm going to have to go to them and say, we're leaving. And by the way, I'd like to bring up a theological conversation. So that's, I can be a huge chicken when it comes to this sometimes. The other objection is that we're waiting for revival. I'm not sure if it's scriptural to wait for revival. I think we need to be sharing the gospel every single day that we're alive. I believe that revival is going to come when we're obedient to go out and share the gospel with those that God has placed in front of us. You know, I, some people probably fast and pray. The way I get psyched up for this is I watch YouTube videos. I have to make that confession. I fasted one meal and I got sick at my stomach, so instead I just went to YouTube. Um, but one video that I, I went back and watched intentionally was an interview with Reinhard Bonnke, the evangelist that shared the gospel and recorded over 70 million decisions for Jesus. He said this. He said the Lord woke him up one night and said, I'm going to save Africa. And he went, and he set up a crusade tent, and he had a crusade for 100 people. Well, towards the end of his life, he was having meetings where over a million people would show up in one night. In Nigeria, they had, over a period of week, they had like three, three, five million people come to hear the gospel of Jesus. But what Reinhard Bonnke said, he said, people told me at Bible college, we're praying for revival and he said, I don't have time to wait for revival. He said, people are dying by the millions without the gospel. And, you know, in his, in his thick German accent, he said, I don't have time for revival. I'm going to make revival. I'm going to preach the gospel. And he saw 70 million people come into the kingdom. Today, I feel, very, I feel the joy of the Lord in being saved. Just simply, I'm so happy I'm saved because I was not saved. When I was in the sixth grade, which is typical probably for a lot of kids that grew up in church, I had to go to a confirmation um, class, and I did not want to go. It was, um, I think it was like four weeks after school. I wanted to go out and play with my friends. I did not want to go sit in a class and learn about John Knox and John Calvin and the history of the Presbyterian Church. I wanted to go out and play and eat little Debbie snack cakes. And uh, I remember, and I think I can, I can taste those butter cookies right now. They, you know, in the little, the little Dixie cup full of water just did not satisfy. And uh, finally, about third weekend, I said, I want to get to the point. How do you go to heaven? And I asked the person teaching the class, how do you go to heaven? I mean, that's a pretty legitimate question. That's the question most of us are asking. How do you go to heaven? And um, whatever answer I got did not satisfy me. It was, it was either too abstract or maybe, maybe I heard the gospel, but it just wasn't. It just didn't click. And then I went on for years, 
creating my own idea of, of how God would measure my life at the end. I remember my senior year, I was at military school, and we had, to, we had to walk back after dinner from the cafeteria. And I remember walking as an 18-year-old, and I remember I brushed my hands up against a bush, just kind of just as you would kind of walk. And I remembered my life is going to come to an end one day. But it was, it was the Holy Spirit revealing eternity to me. And I thought, I'm going to die. And at that point, I just thought, perhaps I'll just cease to exist. And it was overwhelming thinking, uh, a feeling, thinking that eternity will never end, and I don't know where I'm going. And it was so overwhelming, I had to drive that thought out of my mind because it was, it was terrifying. So I, I went several more years um, basically just living for myself, um, creating my own idea of what was right and wrong, and sinking deeper and deeper into a meaningless, uh, self-centered, narcissistic life. Until my junior year of college, my roommate came down in Norman, and he told me that he had just been baptized, given his life to Jesus, and I needed to do the same thing. <laughs> and um, so I went somewhat reluctantly to a pastor's office, and this is how I first heard the gospel. He took a flip chart, and he flipped it over and had a space. He said, um, God has a plan for your life, Al, and he just kept flipping through it. But I realized at that meeting that I was not a follower of Jesus, and that I was destined for an eternity separated from God, and it scared the daylights out of me. But I still did not have a clear understanding of the gospel until um, about the middle of my senior year, I went up to um, Kansas City. I was in a bar, and I had an awareness of the presence of God. I went back to OU, and some people from Campus Crusade for Christ got a hold of me, and they shared the gospel in a very concrete, practical way several times. And until I was able to see the gospel written out on a, a cocktail napkin, I didn't understand the gospel. And that changed my life. I went back to my, my um, apartment and gave my life to Jesus. So we need to use words. Uh, the last point I want to make is that we have to witness with power. I'm going I'm to run through this fairly in kind of a, a summative way. In um, the book of Matthew, Matthew 10, Jesus commissioned the 12. Go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the kingdom of God. So the 12, and most of us would agree with that. And then over in Luke 10, to the 72, he said, go out and preach the gospel, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And the 72 went out. And then over in Mark 16, he commissioned all of us we have been commissioned to do the same things the 12 and the 72 have been commissioned to do. We're to go out, cast out demons. We're to heal the sick. We're to raise the dead. And if we do that, we will see people come to the Lord Jesus. I believe we need this aspect of the gospel more than we've ever needed it before. We have a, a country that is plunging into darkness. We have a country that is open and wide open to the occult. There, is, there are people looking for spiritual power, and there is no more power than the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe people are going to believe, in some cases, unless they see the power of God. The Holy Spirit confirmed Jesus' message with power. He confirmed Paul's message with power, Peter's message with power. We need the confirmation of the Holy Spirit and the signs and wonders that come through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
it's, I think it's the only way we're going to see the gospel move forward. And I want to do a little parenthesis with persecution and great suffering. I'm going to kind of finish up with this story. When I was about 27 years old, I was a brand new teacher. I was hired in Putnam City to go teach Spanish. And I was one of the youngest teachers in the building. And I was, of course, like it's almost always been, I was the only male in the building. And uh, there was one particular teacher who wasn't super friendly. And she was not approachable. And she did not, to me, seem like somebody who had the joy of the Holy Spirit inside of her. One morning early, we went to a faculty meeting, and I looked over, and she came in late, and she had this big um, baggie full of inhalers, and she just kept puffing on all these inhalers. And so she was having trouble breathing. It was real obvious. And I have asthma, so I kind of, you know, I sympathize with her. And all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go pray for her. And I just went, oh, no. And my heart started pounding. I started sweating. And the meeting is going on. They're talking about things, and I have, I'm, clued, I'm just totally out of touch what's happening in the meeting. I'm thinking, I've got to pray for this lady. I'm scared to death. And at the end of the meeting, um, I thought, well, I'm just going to stick around, and if she's still here, the entire room vacated except for this woman. So I'm by her, with her by myself, and I walked up to her and approached her, probably with not a whole lot of tact, and I said, I'd like to pray for you. It looks like you're struggling. And she looked at me with a real serious look. She said, yeah, you can pray for me. But it was, I mean, she was very um, sober when she said it. And um, I laid my hand on her, and I don't remember what I prayed, but it was probably very simple. And then I said, amen, and I just probably just got out of there as quick as I possibly could. I went to my classroom going, oh, that was so horrible. And um, I remember going, I just, at least I obeyed. I'm just like, oh, but I, part of me was like going, oh, that was just so bad. And um, second-guessed everything I had done. And then my kids came, and I taught for an hour or so. And then during a break, she walked up to my door and I, with this really serious look in her eyes. And I went, oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> and, um, and I wasn't prepared for that either. So she said, can I talk to you? And I went, okay. And she said, when you touched me, I felt something go through my body. And I could immediately breathe. And tears just start streaming down her face. And at that time, I just didn't really have enough experience to know how to transition that into, that was Jesus, and he loves you enough to touch your body, and let's talk. I left it, and um, I ran into somebody from that school about two years ago, and I asked and kind of got caught up in how people are doing, and I asked about her, and they said she had died a few years ago. And so, I didn't take responsibility for her, where she ended up, I don't know where she ended up. But I do know that this is a really serious issue to take advantage of the opportunities that God places before us. But I truly believe that we're going to see power when we go out. I've seen demons come out of people in a way that just blew my worldview out of the water. And I've seen a number of people get healed. But if I think about it, it's almost always been when I'm going out to take the gospel. Almost always. And, um, you know, I wanted to kind of reserve my my story, just a few, but I'll, I'll close with this last story. It's about three years ago, I watched a YouTube video. This is, I get my theology from YouTube. It's very solid. And um, I saw a video of people in, in Europe praying for people on the streets, and they were getting healed left and right, weeping and, and, and being baptized and saved. It was all over the place. And I got so excited that Melissa goes, are you watching those videos still? And I would like hide them because I watched it over and over and over and over and over. So finally, I thought, this is either real or it's fake. If it's fake, I probably should stop watching it. If it's real, 
I want to go out and do this stuff. So I went up to, I went up to Crossroads Mall, and um, I walked around Crossroads looking for a, a lame, crippled, or person with a splint. And I, had, I didn't ask a single person if I could pray for him. I was terrified. And I, but I, I went back, and I went over to uh, Krispy Kreme the next day with John Reiner. Some of you guys know John Reiner. And he, I was telling this, and he goes, well, I do see an excitement that I haven't seen in you in a while. And I said, yes, and um, I'm not going to give up on this. So after that, I went over to, to um, we were at Krispy Kreme. So I went over to uh, Walmart, and as I was in the line, I was buying something. I looked over, and this guy was grabbing his back. And I thought, okay, there's a patient, a victim. And so after I was done buying my stuff, I went over to him, and I said, hey, I just noticed you're, you're grabbing your back. Are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I stand here all day, and I sell cell phones, and and um, I said, okay, can I, would you mind if I prayed for you? And he said, sure. And I said, God, would you heal his back? That's all I said. And then I, I said, how is it? And he goes, it's fine. <laughs> I said, I, what do you mean it's fine? He goes, it's fine, dude. You know, and he was kind of surprised that I wasn't, didn't believe what happened. And I, he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I rejected God when my mom died of cancer. I said, well, I think God is calling you back. And that started, it catalyzed uh, what really changed my life, and um, the people I saw um, on that video in Europe, I got so excited, I did exactly what kids should not do. I got on the internet without ever meeting them, and I invited them to my house for a week to train us, and my daughter said, who are these people? I said, oh, there's some people from Europe. How do you know them? From the internet, from YouTube. Do you know much about them? I've never even talked to them. It's all through Messenger, and I invited them to my house. We picked him up at Will Rogers Airport, and, and uh, Peter's about 6'4". He's, he's, um, he's blonde. he got a square jaw. He looks like, if you said draw a Swede, he would look like a Swede. And he got in our car, and he goes, hey, brother, a, a Volvo, good choice. And I thought, this is going to be so interesting. And we went to Packard's over on 10th Street. And, I, of course, I knew him because I'd watched 100 of his videos. And um, Melissa's just kind of being um, very kind and sweet and patient. And he goes, oh, brother, this is going to blow your brains out this week. And because his English is a little, it's a little, it's growing. And um, I was like, this is going to be exciting, but it was a little scary. And the, the hostess walked up, and she said, can I pour some water for your, in your glasses? And he said, oh, sure. And he goes, I am from, she goes, where are you from? He goes, I am from Sweden. I am not a Viking, you know. And he's real funny. And he goes, I have a question. And, and she said, what is it? And he goes, do you have back pain? And she said, oh, do you see my posture? Are you a chiropractor? And he goes, no, we lay hands on the sick and they're healed. And she went, what? And he goes, just watch. Can I, can I, can I touch your arm? And he said, back it, go, like that. And she went, <gasps> She spent the next five minutes confessing her sins and telling us why she hadn't been in church in five years. The power of God will open doors for the most skeptical person, the most cynical person. Of course, I was like, that's good. Let's just put you back on the airplane and go home. Um, but the next five days was great, including getting kicked out of a mall for doing that very stuff. So I believe we're going to see the power of God come. And, and we, we have to operate in the power of God. We have to take risks. We have to jump out there. And we're going to see people healed. We're going to see people set free. We're going to see demons come out of people. It's going to be, um, it's, just, it's not, it's going to be, it's as soon as we step out and start doing, it's going to happen. And we will be persecuted because of it. I don't think persecution is coming. I think it's already here if we obey what we've been asked to do in the scriptures. So we need to stay on mission. We need to use our words. We need to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning as we wrap up, I wanted to invite people forward um, who just want 
to have a, a, some prayer for this specific issue. You've, maybe you've been um, hesitant. We're just going to pray that God blesses you and gives you that opportunity, um, that kind of that unction to, to get out there and start taking some risks. But we also want to pray for those. When I talked about being separated from God for eternity, if, we should always be given this opportunity. I loved it when, when Kaylee did it last week. If you don't know Jesus, if you died this very second, and you don't know where you would spend eternity, come up here and let's, let's help you get started. Because this life is over in a flash. That last heartbeat, I mean, it is eternity. It is serious. So let's pray. Father, we come again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship your holy name. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. We trust you. Help us, Father. Send us out in Jesus' name.